Okay, so my computer is being very noisy this morning. Oh, it just stopped. Okay, anyway, the fan was spinning, so I'm going to use my actual Bible to read today's reading instead of looking at the screen. But we're looking at Genesis chapter 2 and picking up from verse 4. Uh, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth uh, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. It's interesting how there's that rep repetition. You know, the heavens and the earth when they were created on the day that the Lord God created the, the earth and the heavens. And this is kind of like a new introduction to a new account of creation. So we looked at one yesterday, you know, seven days God created everything. That's Genesis chapter one. But here there is uh, another perspective. And this perspective now comes from uh, the man and the woman, the creation of mankind. And we get a hint of this in the beginning of verse 4. These are the generations. So it's the new beginning um, that starts from creation but carries on down the generations of mankind. So picking up from verse 5, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So uh -huh. so it's saying that before there was any vegetation, any plants on the land, um, that was because there was no water and there was no man. You know, God had not yet caused it to rain, and there was no man to work the ground. It's interesting that man is an essential component to creation, to making sure that creation uh, exists, at least the vegetation. And I guess it already highlights the role and purpose of man to look after creation, to cultivate the land, to look after these plants. You know, being a gardener is almost essential to our responsibility as human beings to look after all these living things, these living plants. Without it, you know, there can be no plants. <laughs> At least that's what verse 5 implies. Verse 6, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. <laughs> so cool. A mist, this reverse rain. Um, droplets of water or springs of water, instead of coming from the sky, comes up from the ground. So self-watering, self-sprinkling water. <laughs> God invented these sprinklers naturally uh, coming up from the ground. Verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What makes man alive? Well, first of all, he's formed from the ground, so we are actually a part of this creation, you know, formed out of dust. But then we need something more to give us that spark. Of life. God needs to breathe into us his breath, same word meaning spirit, and as that breath or spirit enters us, so God's life enters us and we become living beings. What makes us alive, what makes us human is um, at its core and its essence is actually God's spirit itself giving us life and animating us. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, um, verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. 
And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So a lot of description of this particular plot of land, this place called Eden, which is a garden. And this garden is beautiful. You know, all kinds of trees grow there. So it's very good to look at and also very tasty to eat. Uh, and there are two trees in particular. It highlights there's a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Lots of different trees, but these two are very, very special. Um, I guess implying that one gives you life and one gives you knowledge. And, uh, in, and not just planting all these trees, God planted this garden, but also God plants the man into this garden. So very, very intentional things that God does in creation. You know, it's not an accident that there are all these trees in this location, and it's not an accident that God puts this man there in this garden, I guess, as his home, you know, as a provision for the man. This creation, this garden is made for him. Hence the food, hence even the beauty. You know, God um, is someone who cares about aesthetics. But also man's role again. You know, um, the beginning of verse 5, before there was any bush, any cultivation, um, there needed to be man. So there's a kind of organic relationship. You know, God puts us there because that's what we need to survive. We need these plants. We need food. We actually need a place that is livable, that's beautiful, that's comfortable, but also the place needs us. It needs us to survive. We need to look after it. We need to tend to it. We need to maintain it as, as tenants. Yeah, and God does this intentionally. Okay, all right, uh, verse 10, talking about rivers. <laughs> verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. So before there was these sprinklers, but now God causes this river, this source of water, source of life that waters and irrigates all the plants in this garden. But it also flows and divides into four other rivers. In verse 11, the name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the goal of that land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. Ah, so I guess implying that, you know, from this one river flows all these other rivers that blesses the surrounding land. So this first land has gold, has, I'm not sure what bedellium and onyx stone are, but these minerals, these precious stones, implying that the blessings uh, stem from Eden. You know, if through these rivers, you know, they irrigate the land, they cause more vegetation, but also they lead towards God's overflowing blessing, gold and minerals. Uh, verse 13, the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, blessing it and giving life again. Verse 14, and the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Okay, so all these rivers have names, flow to out, out into different lands, blessing them, giving life. But it, it all comes back to Eden. That's the source of God's life, God's blessing, God's creation. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him, very intentionally, 
in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So that's his job. You know, cut the grass, tend it, work it. You know, it's hard work. You know, there's a job to be done. And God intentionally gives him this job. He puts him there. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. So God gives him his word, this command. Hey, makan time. <laughs> Enjoy and eat from every tree. So surely, you know, you can actually eat from anything and everything and enjoy it. And this is command. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the plants. But, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Oh, okay. So, firstly, a word of permission, eat of every tree. Now, a word of prohibition, you may not eat of this tree. Why? Because on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Pasti mati, musti die on the. <laughs> so, here is God's word again coming to the man, freeing him, blessing him, giving him permission to eat from every tree, but also warning him, you know, obey me, obey my word, and do not eat from this one tree. And, and it's for your good, because the day that you eat of it, you will definitely die. This is so dangerous. This is for your good. Listen to my word. So it's very interesting that the very first word that comes um, to man is a word that includes warning, that includes judgment. You will surely die. I think that's the sound of pipes. Yeah, I think my dad just got up. <laughs> Verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God looks at man, hey, not good man, <laughs> first time in Genesis. Before this, you kept hearing God saying, good, it is good. God looks at creation, everything he made was actually good, it was perfect. And it ended with him even saying it's very, very good. All of creation that God made is actually complete and beautiful, and God looks at it with satisfaction, like an artist looking at his creation. But finally, for the first time, we see him looking at something that God has made himself, and he says, hey, you know what, there's something not quite right about this. This is not good. And what's not good is that man should be alone. You know, man is made for something more than himself. You know, we were made for others. We were made for relationship, not just for ourselves, being by ourselves, being alone, but we need a helper. We need a companion. We need relationship. And so God says, I will make him a helper that is fit for him or right for him. Okay, and so verse 19, so out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. That's interesting. That's interesting because verse 18 says, I will make him a helper. And then verse 19, he starts making all these animals. And then and, and he brings all these animals to God, to, to man, 
like to take attendance, but also to give names to these animals. And whatever he called each animal, Bob, <laughs> or cat, or dog, you know, that was its name. You know, man actually has the right, has the authority, has the permission from God to give names to these different living things, implying a kind of ownership. You know, when you own a cat, you can call it whatever you want but also uh, signifying that authority that comes from God, because God gives names to different elements of creation. Remember, you know, day and night, you know, he calls land, sea, and skies, that kind of thing. God gives names to something that he has made. But now God makes these things, and God says to Adam, to, well, he doesn't call them Adam yet, calls him, says to the man, you can give them names. You know, you have this permission from me to have a kind of authority, a kind of ownership, uh, over these living things. But also, again, very interesting, earlier it says, I'm going to make him a helper, and now God makes all these other creatures. But then it says, um, verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So none of these animals, none of these living creatures were suitable as companions for him. Notwithstanding, you know, having a dog or having a pet, you know, that can be very, very fulfilling, very fun. It will love you. <laughs> but um, they're not quite the relationship that God made us for. You know, God needs to give us someone else that is special, someone who will complement us, someone who will complete us, in a sense. Uh, interesting to compare this with day six, how... In day six of Genesis chapter one, you remember God created the, the living things first, all the animals first, and then he created man and woman. But here it's a reverse. And so this account of creation is another perspective. It is much more um, human-centric. So from the human-centric pr perspective, you know, none of these animals uh, were suitable as helpers, and yet we have ownership over them. We have responsibility over them. So adding on to that job description, man is supposed to tend the ground, work the ground, but also has ownership and responsibility over all the living animals. Again, uh, instilling value and purpose in our lives, we're meant to tend and look after the world that God has put us in to care for it, to help it to grow and to flourish. Uh, but, you know, there is no helper fit for him. So verse 21, so the Lord God, verse 21, caused a deep sleep to fall upon a man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. God did this operation on the man while he was asleep. He took out this rib, closed it up. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And the way that it's formatted in my Bible is almost like a song. It's almost like a love poem that man sings to the woman, you know, you, you were made from me. You are a part of me. He sings to her out of love, out of appreciation, um, maybe almost courting her. You know, this at last is my bone of my bones. I've been waiting for you. This at last, you know, you 
You've been the one I've been looking for, longing for, and we were made for one another. So bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Yeah. Um, and also it implies a kind of headship as well. Now, listen, I mean, I don't mean to offend anyone, but just following on from how, you know, um, the other animals were made from the ground again, but this woman is made from her flesh. The other animals were brought to the man and he named them, but here God brings the woman to the man and he names her woman. So there is an order to this relationship, and yet at the same time, there's a kind of complementary, a kind of completeness, <laughs> because she's made from me. I mean, you are a part of me, you know, and not, not, not beneath me, but you are part of my flesh. And uh, it emphasizes that I need you in order to be complete. I need you in order to be fulfilling this purpose that God has given me in relationship in responsibility and 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 just really yeah i need you in other words uh, verse 24 therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother okay all right really interesting they don't have a mom and dad yet but okay therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and shall become one flesh so emphasizing this one flesh relationship between the man and woman, I guess, uh, in marriage. Yeah, that's why leaving the father and mother, forming your own household, your own family. So there's something special when a man and woman comes together in marriage, in this union of one flesh, that God actually made them for one another. And therefore, the creation of man is the creation, not just as of an individual, but the creation of marriage between man and woman, the creation of this new family unit. So in God's eyes, the smallest unit of humanity is not the individual, is not me, myself, and I, but actually me completed with someone who will be my better half to be this unit of union, in marriage and love and relationship. And that is the smallest unit of, of, of humanity. It's the family. You know, God creates marriage so that human beings will be able to love one another, care for one another, and in doing so, care for this earth. Uh, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So there's a kind of purity. Um, there's there's something very, very pure and holy and very special about marriage, about men and women being able to celebrate that love with one another. Nothing to be ashamed of. So, yeah, that's, that's it. That's, that's Genesis chapter 2. Really cool, right? I mean, we've been reading about how God created everything and this, this huge scale of the universe and of the land and the seas and the skies and every living creature, every living thing, all these trees... But then it zooms down into just uh, love and even romantic love between a man and a woman. And it shows how at the heart of creation is God's love for us seen in our love for one another, a relationship. We cannot live and exist on our own. We need uh, this life that comes from God, this breath that comes from Him. 
and even this helper, this companion, God makes for us. And so, you know, when you get married, you find someone whom you love, someone you can really do life with and commit to. Uh, um, and in marriage, you know, that is something that God has made in creation. And it's good. You know, it's not good when you stay alone. It's not good when you just live for yourself. But it's something other-centeredness that God has put into our hearts that when we find it, we see it, we rejoice in it, and we thank God for it. And that's, that's marriage. That, that's, that's relationship. That's the family that God has created in creation. Yeah. Um, what do we learn from this? Um, well, as an aside, and this really is just as an aside, you know, when you go to any wedding, it um, doesn't have to be even be a Christian one. You know, any and every wedding that celebrates the union of man and woman in marriage is a celebration of God's act of creation. You know, you know before, before sin, you know, uh, before salvation, you know, God actually created marriage as part of that uh, special relationship that he gives to all of us as human beings. And so it's meant to be celebrated, whether you're a Christian or not, and to recognize that it actually comes from God. So what we need is not just existence. What we need is not just purpose or a job, <laughs> which, which Adam had before he had his wife, but actually what we need is one another. And that is what we have in the family. You know, that's something that God has blessed us with and when we have it, it's meant to be rejoiced in. And yeah, it's very, very special. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I really just appreciate how we have this other account that is from the perspective of man. You know, it gives us so much purpose, gives us so much perspective of how, you know, we're meant to care for this world. You know, before there was any plants, the reason why there wasn't, Anything yet was because God needed man to care for this creation. And it's something that God invests into humanity that we're meant to receive from God. This authority, this kind of sense of responsibility that I need to care for everything. You know, its livelihood, its purposefulness, um, even its identity, giving it, giving it that name, is something that God gives us that ability to do as human beings. And we're meant to carry out in a way that uh, really uh, reflects um, God's creative power uh, through our care. Yeah, um, I'm rambling now. I need to stop. Okay, <laughs> right. Anyway, thanks for joining me. This has been the Daily Bible Reading Show. Uh, we're going through the book of Genesis. There's a long way to go. Whoa, <laughs> another 48 chapters. Um, but thank you for joining me this far. Uh, there's more to come. Uh, let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the purpose that you give, us, give to us in life, that we're meant to care for this earth. But also thank you for that completeness that you give us in relationship. When we find it in love, when we find it in marriage, that too is something that you bless us with in creation, but also in Christ. In Christ, we see this fulfillment of this relationship, for he is our bridegroom and we are his bride. And therefore, we are completed in this relationship with him. And so we thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen. Amen.